The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, I love Courtney's question there regarding Daniel chapter 3. Will we worship the true and living God or will we worship idols. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Daniel chapter 3. And as you're turning to Daniel chapter 3, I just want to remind you, today is the last day of Christmas in July for Foster Love Bell County. Great organization we partner with. There's a tree back on my right, your left, in the lobby toward the back hall. Great opportunity there to serve and love vulnerable children. Well, if you're coming in today and you go, what, what is, who is this lady and what, what's this guy, what's going on? We're in a series, we have two weeks left in it after this week, it's called A New Chapter. And this spring we asked staff and elders and their spouses, what are some of your favorite chapters in the Bible? And then Dave and Tim and I put those together and we've just been preaching through those chapters this summer. We'll start August in First Peter and be there all fall. Well, D Daniel 3, where we are today, is one of the most famous stories in Scripture. It is beloved by many, and it's been talked about by people in all kinds of cultures. Martin Luther King quoted Daniel chapter 3. Johnny Cash, who, by the way, was the greatest singer to ever live, sang about Daniel chapter 3. It happened 2,700 years ago in the East, but it has a lot to teach us about God today in the postmodern West. Israel is in captivity. Daniel and his three friends, they're slaves of King Nebuchadnezzar. They've climbed the ranks of servitude. And in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel interprets a dream Nebuchadnezzar has that tells him about the future a bit, and one would think that it would maybe make Nebuchadnezzar just a bit humble, but it does not. And so he sets up an idol in Babylon on the plain of Dura. It's 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, and basically he's going to say, everyone has to bow and worship this idol, and if, if you don't, we're going to read it in just a second, if you don't, then you'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. And Daniel's three friends who are administrators in the province of Babylon, they won't bow down. Their names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in Hebrew. Hananiah means God is gracious. Azariah means Yahweh is our help. And Mishael means who is what God is. And I love that name. It's asking a question. Who is what God is? Or maybe stated another way, who is like our God? Or maybe as God asks in Isaiah 40 or in Job 38 through 41, to whom will you compare me? Who is what God is? Well, their names have been changed by Nebuchadnezzar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I think every generation asks, what is this culture coming to? And the culture of the Chaldeans has come to abject idolatry. And they are facing a significant ultimatum. Bow the knee or be cast into the fire. Daniel 3 is a story about faith. It's also a story about God. 
Now, one of the things that I've done is I've preached through these texts is whether I was, I was talking to whoever's chapter I had, whatever man or woman's chapter I had, I just visited with them either through phone call or personal conversation or email. Tell me a little bit more about your video. Tell me a little bit more about your, your thoughts. And Courtney, one of the things that she said is I think a lot of the times our faith can become more about rooting out or boycotting ungodliness in the land rather than continuing to deepen in our love and obedience to God, to being his people and paying no attention to these things. When we choose to make God our focal point, it strengthens us for when actual persecution and adversity comes. We're gonna see that play out in this story about faith, about God, and about global evangelization. So let's read the first 12 verses of Daniel chapter three. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, that's 90 feet, its breadth six cubits, that's nine feet. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province. I gotta be honest, I wish it just said all the officials of the province, right? All the officials of the province, that's what we're gonna say kind of moving forward. He gathered them for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. They stood before the image Nebuchadnezzar set up, and the herald proclaimed, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Now, I love that, that word, herald. We now are heralds of the gospel. And basically, what, what this herald is proclaiming is, hey, you worship this image, and our, our heralding of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and all people of all nations ought to worship him. Verse six, whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, when you hear the music of all these instruments, it says that all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared, O King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever. You have made a decree. Every man who hears the sound of all these instruments shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down shall be cast into a burning fire. There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Well, God, we humble ourselves before you and we know that you are the God who can deliver. And so we pray, Father, as we open your word, God, that you would reveal to us not just the idols of our culture, but the idols of our own hearts. God, that we would be uh, soft soil for your spirit to do good work in so that we could be a people who worship the true and living God who is good and who is able. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he's made this image of gold and it's, a big deal. People can see it from far away and the call 
is to bow to the image of gold, it's not don't worship your God. See, that, that's going to happen in Daniel chapter 6 with King Darius. Say, don't, don't pray to your God, only pray to our gods. Culture idolatry starts like this. You can pray to your God, but pray to our gods too. All, all this has got to be equal. Don't pray to your God, pray to ours. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. It's a call to bow or to burn. Now, it's an interesting thing. As we talked about this in staff meeting Wednesday, Danny pointed out that The accusation says there are certain Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who will not bow down. There are three. Now, shouldn't this read actually all the Jews won't bow down, right? There's a lot of Jews exiled in Babylon. But it says there are certain Jews who won't bow down. Now, there's another time in Scripture that a golden image is talked about. Moses just happens to be on a mountain meeting with the living God and God is giving him the Ten Commandments, the first two of which are you shall have no other gods before me and second, do not make for yourself a graven image. Guess what Israel is doing? All Israel is making a graven image out of gold and worshiping it as the gods who delivered them from Egypt. See, Israel, like us, they're just prone toward idolatry. John Calvin said it this way. He said all kinds of things. Some people love, some they hate. But when John Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory, he was right. The human heart is an idol factory. It says certain Jews, but there are a lot of people just bowing to the idols of Babylon. And in Daniel 3, chapter 12, there are these certain Jews who won't. It says they pay no attention to you, which is kind of a lie, right? They've risen as administrators. They're doing really good work. How are these Jews being promoted? Well, it's not because of their Jewishness, right? They'd have been hated in Babylon, but they're doing good work. They're being promoted. And Courtney just points out that in Daniel 3 and in Daniel 6, the way to resist is to pay no attention to these idols or injunctions. They just keep carrying on steadfast worship of the true and living God. They pay no attention, provokes a response in unbelieving leaders. Right here in Nebuchadnezzar, furious rage. But Courtney said, you know, in, in Daniel 6, it provokes sadness in Darius because he loves Daniel. Even quiet refusal provokes a response from the unbelieving world. And Courtney says, it appears this pays off when adversity comes. These men seem to have a reserve of faith that might not have been there had they gotten caught up in coming against the ungodliness in the land rather than focusing on worshiping God. And they will not bow. Now, all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, right? When he rose from the dead, Luke 24, he taught them about how all the scripture spoke concerning himself, And you can see in this moment, this foreshadowing of the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter four. Satan says, bow down to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Jesus, the lamb of God, said you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. And these three Hebrew children will worship the Lord their God and him alone. They're pointing us to the one who's coming. They will not bow down. They will not worship. 
Well, what does idolatry look like for us? What does it mean for us to worship the Lord our God and him alone? How much greed or pride or lust do I have to have for it to become idolatry in my life? And the answer for us is usually just a little bit. Idolatry is a little bit more than I have, right? Idolatry over a house is wanting a little bit more of a house than I want. Idolatry over cars wanting a little bit nicer car than I want. What I want is reasonable, right? Do you know they make trucks today? You can just press a button when you're walking up to it and it will start. Idolatry is 10 more shoes than I, pairs of shoes than I would like to have. I, uh, I don't want to mess with Mark Rojas too much. He loves his shoes. I don't want to step on his toes there, right? What's idolatry? What we tend to do is something like this. This is, this is Brad Pitt's new house. Uh, it's a $40 million mansion in Carmel, California. It was built in 1918 by D.L. James. You can see it's had an upgrade or two. That grill was not original with a house, right? <laughs> but we just kind of go, oh, idolatry is way, way out there. And, and here's the reality for each of us. Idolatry is way, way in here. I was reading from Pastor Ranjit David. He's pastor of New City Church in Delhi, India. He understands just a little bit about idolatry. Here's what Ranjit David says about idolatry. He says, you want to think about your idols, what would be the completion of this statement for you? Without blank, my life has no meaning or purpose. Stated another way, I just can't live without this. I have got to have this. He says, that's a clue into your heart idolatry. Idols are not necessarily physical things, though there are many physical idols in his city, Delhi. It has to do with what we really love and value and worship. This is what John warns Christians of when he says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. He says to experience Deep change, I had become aware of my heart idolatry. I needed to know the invisible sin beneath my observable external behavior. Why? Because idols are not torn down by the strength or will of humanity. Why is that? Because something spiritual is happening. In cultural idols, something spiritual is happening that's dark. The powers of evil are over it. When idolatry is happening in a culture and when idolatry is happening in an individual, something dark, spiritual is happening and killing an idol involves delighting in Jesus, repenting and turning, embracing the love of grace, the love and grace of God in the gospel. Pastor Ranjit says this is also actually a, a crucial aspect of self-awareness, knowing what your own idols are. Well, because there's a giant golden image, these three young men are keenly aware of what the idol that they're facing is, and it is a call to bow down or to burn. You bow down to this idol or you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace, and it's a call that comes with a question. Nebuchadnezzar hears that they won't bow down. He calls them to him, and he says, now, if... If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, that's, that's well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? See, pagans 
In the ancient Near East, God would give victory. So if the Israelites were in, in Babylon, surely, surely God wouldn't care for them. Who's, your, who's the God that's going to deliver you? Don't you remember? We came and tore your nation and your city up and brought you all here. Who's the God who will deliver you? And they have the strangest of answers. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to answer you concerning this matter. They don't stop there, though. They say, if, if this be so, our God whom we serve, he is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Well, why would they say that? Why would they be so comfortable saying, we don't need to give you an answer? Our God's able to deliver us. It's almost like they knew this was gonna happen. Well, Scripture says that they might have had a clue to it. Jeremiah and Isaiah both speak to what's happening in their exile. Now, I'm going to read to you what Jeremiah says, and then I'm going to tell you what Isaiah says. It's really specific. Jeremiah chapter 24 says, After Nebuchadnezzar had, had taken into exile from Jerusalem, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, together with all the officials, the metal workers, the craftsmen, and brought them to Babylon, the Lord gave me a vision. And it showed me two baskets of figs before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs, but the other basket had very bad figs, so bad that they couldn't be eaten. Now, my grandparents, right off their back porch, you walk out the back porch right to the left in Deweyville, Texas, had a fig tree. And I would be sitting in my grandfather's porch while he smoked unfiltered camels, and told the same five stories over and over and over as a little boy. And in summer, we'd go out and get figs, and you could tell turn ripe. And I didn't know, actually, in Deweyville, Texas, in the late 70s and early 80s, you were supposed to wash your fruit before you ate it, right? So we just eat figs all summer long, but we'd be talking back and forth, and they were so good. And then all of a sudden, just a little kid, you're not paying attention, you grab one, and it's not good. And it is not good, right? Jeremiah sees two sets of figs. The figs that are good, really good, and the bad figs, really bad. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good and I will bring them back to this land. I have sent them. Nebuchadnezzar is not sovereign. God is. God says, I've sent them to the land of Chaldeans and I'll bring them back and I will give them a heart to know that I'm the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. For thus says the Lord, like the bad figs that are so bad that cannot be eaten, so I'll treat Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land. I'll make them a horror to all the kings of the earth to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, a curse in all the places where I shall send them. I'll send sword, famine, pestilence upon them until they're utterly destroyed from the land I gave to their fathers." Jeremiah says, I'm going to send these people in exile and I will do good to them and I'll give them a heart to know me there. These are the good figs. Isaiah 43, 2, that we talked about a few weeks ago and then Tim preached on a couple weeks ago. 
God literally says, when you walk through the fire, I will be with you. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to throw you into this fiery furnace if you don't bow down to my idol. Can they just hear Isaiah in their head when you walk through the fire? I will be with you. So they say, our God is able to deliver us, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, their response is a response of faith. The call is you bow or you burn. And they respond in faith, but we need to be really careful. Their faith is not great because of the quantity of their faith. Their faith is not great because of the quality of their faith. See, we live today, some people say that if your faith is great, it's all about the quantity. And if you have enough, God will surely bless you. No, 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 look, Chase, they prayed in faith and, and, and they weren't in the fire, right? So God blessed them. And if you just pray enough, sickness won't hit you, harm won't hit you, pain won't hit you. People even said this when Gary was sick. If you guys just pray enough, that's not the picture that scripture gives. These are the good figs and they're in exile. Our brothers and sisters in Ukraine are enduring a fiery ordeal hard to imagine. And they're doing it by faith. See, it's not the quantity of our faith that makes our faith great. It's also not the quality of our faith that makes our faith great. There are a lot of people that go, just hey, if your doctrine's right, and it's just right, and what they mean by that is if your doctrine's exactly like mine, then God will bless you. Surely the favor of God will be on you. But there are a lot of people who got their doctrine right, but they got their life rude, right? And it just doesn't work. Our faith is not great. Their faith is not great because of the quantity of their faith or the quality of their faith. Their faith is great because of the God they trust. The object of our faith is what makes it great. It's a God who is both able and good. O king, our God is able to deliver us from your hand. Who's the God who can deliver you? We have an answer. But even if not, we believe he's so good. We believe he's the true and living God. And we believe it so much that they're not going to worship the idols of Babylon. They just won't do it. Well, Nebuchadnezzar gets mad. It says he is furious with rage. And he has the furnace heated seven times hotter than it was before. Now, it's hot enough to kill a man, right? Fire will do that to you. He has it heated seven times more. And it's so hot that the guards who throw them into the fire die as they do it, right? Can you imagine the guards behind them that they're really kind of initially wishing they get to be the guards that do it and they're kind of second tier guards and they see their friends getting close and their friends getting hot and they're saying that great Babylonian phrase, back it up, Terry, put it in reverse, (laughs) right? And they throw them into the fire and they die. They throw them in with their cloaks, their tunics, they're bound 
Verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He said, but I see four men. I see four men and they're unbound and walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, just briefly, people kind of argue over who this is and people go, well, was this pre-incarnate Christ? I'll tell you, I think it was. Some people go, no, it couldn't have been because Nebuchadnezzar said, look, this angel, like Nebuchadnezzar actually knew exactly what was going on, right? I think it was pre-incarnate Christ, but whoever, whatever is happening, it's this Emmanuel moment. God is with them. He's with them in the fire. And they're walking around where other people have just been killed even by the heat the fire is producing. Nebuchadnezzar is blown away. And ultimately, what this is going to point us to is not just God being with them in the fire, but there's this resurrection moment. They're thrown into death and then they're brought out to life. And there's another with them. And Jesus, years and years later, Jesus is going to receive upon himself the sins of humanity. He's going to bear our sins. He will walk through the fire of sin and death by crucifixion. And three days later, he's going to rise up and make a farce of all the idols of Babylon and every other culture. Uh, Courtney said it like this, God's presence entering in and walking with them in the fire really points to the incarnation Jesus coming down in flesh to permanently set us free, not just situationally like in this story, but once for all to defeat sin and death. Listen, all the kings of the world who make themselves out to be God, these megalomaniacs who think too highly of themselves, Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, the king of Assyria, the Roman government, I won't say his name today, Vladimir Putin, they all represent spiritual forces of evil throughout history. And they all point to Satan, sin, death, and the powers of evil, and those have ultimately been disarmed. Not by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but by Jesus Christ, who lived and died and lives again. Death has no mastery over him. See, their faith leads to God being magnified in Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. They came out from the fire. Listen, he has said, bow down to my idol or I'm going to burn you up. Now he says, come, servants of the Most High God. God's being magnified in Babylon. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. See, people look at this and go, see, Chase, it was outcome-based. They had faith and God did what they said. And he did. They came out of the fire. And they were slaves in exile for the next 60 years. 
right? Wouldn't this read? They came out of the fire and they went back to Jerusalem and the temple was set up and all was well. But we know that's not what happened. Because the idolatry of Babylon just turned right into the idolatry of Israel. They needed a savior just like the people of Babylon did. But God was with them in this fiery furnace and God was with them in the fire of exile. Like we need God to be with us. Courtney just pointed out to me there, there's this overarching literary device employed in this passage where there's this larger metaphor of culture that's the fire that we walk in. We are always going to be in culture as they were in the flames, but the exhortation is not that we're consumed or caught up. The fire had no power over their bodies, their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed. So Nebuchadnezzar says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Now, when you read that, they yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. It's almost like them yielding up their bodies is their act of worship. Maybe Paul had this in mind when he said, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, or some translations say, do not be conformed to the image of this world. Not a 90 foot tall, nine foot wide image. Whatever the idol in your own heart is. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're faithful witnesses to their God. And God is magnified in Babylon. And I've got to believe as they continue to live, we see it play out in Daniel that God continues to be magnified in Babylon even while his people are in exile. As we begin thinking about application, one of the things we've got to think about is there's a danger in lamenting so much about a culture that once existed that we fail to share the gospel in a culture that does now exist. Stated further, there's a danger in lamenting so much about any culture's idols that we fail to share the gospel with said culture. So let's think about that far away and let's think about that close to home. You could look and go, man, Islamic extremism is so awful. The idolatry that happens there is so awful. I'm gonna just live in fear and never share the gospel or love my Muslim neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'd never go to a Muslim nation. My gosh, that's so scary. No way. Or it could be that you go, man, the idolatry of Hinduism, that's really just so strange and it's dark. I'm, I'm not really even sure how to approach it. I, I'm just gonna be paralyzed in fear. I'm not gonna share the gospel with my Hindu neighbors. Chase, did you just say God might call me to go to India? I was just sneaking that in there, right? Yes, right? We surrender to Jesus. All we have, all we are, all we hope to be, our location belongs to him. But it could also look like this. 
I mean, I could, I could look at these people way over here and they seem like they hate the things of God and they want to do this and live however they want and sleep with whoever they want. That's just gross. I'm not loving them. I'm not telling them about Jesus. There are these people way over here that name the name of Jesus. They talk about Jesus. They hate everybody. They speak awful things about everybody. I'm, I'm not sharing Christ with them when obviously they need him, right? There's a danger in lamenting so much about a culture that we fail to share the gospel with that culture. Now, I wonder if these guys, when they were in that fire, if they were praying the prayer that really led to the passion movement about 25 years ago that sent just a lot of people to the nation, stirred a lot of people's affections for Jesus. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. God, we're, we're waiting for you right now as we get thrown into this fire. Your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. They trusted God. They waited on him like we do. Even while they were exiled as slaves in Babylon. See, Martin Luther King Jr. said the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. The moral arc of the universe, it's long, but it bends toward justice. Well, what, what was the call that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got? The call they got was you bow the knee or you're going to burn. The moral arc of the universe is long. But it bends toward justice. And Jesus took the justice of God upon himself. No one took his life. He laid it down of his own accord. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And Paul tells us that God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Justice will occur. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that justice is going to be accompanied by mercy for us as we are ushered into his presence forever and ever increasing joy. And this will be to the glory of God the Father. So what do we do in the meantime while we wait in exile in Babylon? I do, I do think that we learn from the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't bow to the idols of the world and we worship our God and we pray to him alone. I think their faith is a model for us, but I think there's a greater faith example or picture, I guess, is that Danny and I talked about this this week. There's a fourth man in the fire with them. And that fourth man points us to Christ. And now you and I are the living representation of Jesus Christ on this earth. So I wonder if, there, if there's somebody in the fire right now that needs Jesus, through you and me, to come stand with them and let them know God is able. See, in Ukraine, 
for all of Ukraine right now, the church is being the fourth man in the fire. Right? Their own government will say this. The UN is saying this to people who are without food. Go, go to the church, they'll help you. And they are. And they're sharing the gospel through literature, through words, through songs and skits. The church is the fourth man in the fire for all of Ukraine right now. I wonder in your neighborhood, I wonder in your workplace, I wonder in your school, I wonder in your family, does somebody need a fourth man in the fire? And God would have that to be you and me so that the kings of this world would go, oh, there's, a, there's another in the fire. Wait, what's going on there? I, I've never seen anything like that. Ultimately, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, that's our, our prayer. Lord, would you, would you stir in us the faith of these young men uh, that we might know you're good and able and in your, your character and ability that we would trust also your wisdom and say, even if, even if not, I'm, I'm not gonna bow down to the idols of this world. I'm gonna worship my God. I'll present my body. We'll present our bodies collectively together. God, is there somebody we need to stand with in the fire today, this week? Lord, there, there are people that, walked in this room today and their marriage is on the brink, they don't think it can be reconciled. And nothing is too difficult for you. Would you stand with them in that fire? Lord, there are people that this week, this month, this year got a diagnosis that they do not believe that they can bear. God, would you stand with them in the fire and may we as your church stand with them in the fire. Trials we might not be able to imagine. And the power of God's presence is far beyond we could imagine as well. Help us, Lord, as we live in exile and wait for Jesus to bring us home. In his name we pray. Amen.